1: Welcome to the Rise Up For You Podcast. I am your host, Leanne DeSanto, and we are honored to have you with us today. This podcast is here to serve you and stand alongside your journey to becoming your best self. We are all about the whole person here at Rise Up For You. So if you haven't grabbed your free Becoming Your Best Self starter kit yet, you can text Rise Podcast to 797979. That's Rise Podcast, all one word, to 797979, and you will be supported both personally and professionally. Now, today's guest is Thais Gibson. She is absolutely amazing, and we had an awesome conversation around attachment theory. She is uh, best known for her contribution to the work and research on attachment theory. And she also shares how she overcame her own challenges with addiction in her early years. And uh, Thais is profoundly determined to educate people on how they can reprogram painful or limiting programs in their own mind. In her book, The Attachment Theory Guide, uh, and her YouTube channel, she focuses on educating people on how subconsciously reprogramming this area of their life can change everything. So rise up for you and enjoy this episode. Well, welcome Thais to the Rise Up For You podcast. Thank you so much
2: for having me. I'm very excited to be here.
1: Absolutely. Well, I'm so excited for our conversation today. So let's dive right in. Share a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah, so a little bit about myself. I mean, there's a very long sort of backstory, but I mm-hmm. went through um, a big struggle with addiction after a knee surgery. i um, addicted to my painkillers when I was... I think just before my 15th birthday, um, Mm. and had very minimal insight into what addiction was really all about. And it started me on a journey at a very young age, trying to understand like what was going on that I kept losing this battle to myself because for anybody who's ever experienced addiction or been through anything like that, it's very like scary. And I think there's a lot of helplessness and hopelessness and sort of torment in relationship to self. And I later discovered that that was the relationship between my conscious mind and subconscious mind. So, my conscious mind wanting, like, okay, this is the last time. I'm not doing this again. I'm not going to seek these out. I'm not going to. And my subconscious being like, no, we're actually really interested in avoiding pain and this is helping. And so, (laughs) when I sort of discovered that that losing battle and so much of like that really, you know, painful self loathing and, and those challenging moments were actually one part of myself versus another part of myself. And then when I went on to discover that your conscious mind can't outwill or overpower your subconscious mind, it can only reprogram it. That was this like massive, massive personal breakthrough. And it made everything make sense. And so that set me off on sort of a quest to really understanding the mind Um, And I ended up going back to school and doing a master's degree in transpersonal psychology and then about 13 different certifications in like CBT, NLP, hypnosis, you name it, like (laughs) a whole bunch of different stuff. And I was sort of obsessed with like understanding the dynamics and that led to me opening a practice that got extremely busy very fast. And then we realized, okay, well, how do we see more people? And then we created the online school. So that's
1: sort of the the over synopsis of of the journey. (laughs) Yeah, fantastic. Wow. You sound like me. I know we love this like education and go deeper and deeper. And I just I just love it. Yeah, because it's so addicting. It's in itself and uh, just our own journey is what we're meant to teach, right?
2: I really believe that. And I really believe that a lot of like the pain points that people go through on their journey, whatever they might be and how unique they might be to each individual. I think we go through lessons so that we can grow and empower ourselves and learn to sort of overcome these things that we're facing. And I think every painful experience we have is actually an opportunity to go deeper into the self and understand things and come out wiser because of those experiences.
1: I believe that as well. And sometimes I hear from people like, well, you know, that particular person, I don't want to say messed up, but you know, their own life stuff is messy and they're a coach. How can they be a coach? I'm like, I don't think I'd want a coach that had this like perfect rainbow life. You know I mean? You want someone that's been in the grit, right? <laughs> absolutely.
2: And I think there's so much wisdom in like the wounded healer because you understand things from your perspective and, and I think those are some of the best coaches out there for sure.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about attachment theory. I know that you do a lot of work around that.
2: Yeah. So, um, for I guess I'll start by maybe sharing a little bit about what it is and then mm-hmm. give a, an overall synopsis mm-hmm. of the different attachment cells. I know people love learning about this. Yeah, perfect. Um, so so basically attachment theory is a theory originally developed by somebody named John Bowlby and then later sort of built on by Mary Ainsworth. And then myself and other people I think around the world right now are really building on um, sort of furthering the understanding of what attachment theory is and how it impacts our adult relationships. So basically it was this idea that we learn to attach to our caregivers at a very young age through basically a certain set of rules based on what we experience. And I've gone on to sort of share something called integrated attachment theory, which is this idea that these rules are sort of like a rule book you live life in terms of how your relationships are supposed to feel and what they're supposed to look like. And I sort of compare the analogy of having a different attachment style to playing a board game with a different rule book like you're gonna have all this friction and all these challenges and misunderstandings and miscommunications and so i've learned through seeing so many people in in sort of client-facing practice over the years that It's not just attachment theory, but each individual attachment style, and there are four, also seems to come with specific expectations that they carry at a subconscious level, specific needs they have in a relationship, specific ways they communicate love, so the ways they give and receive love, Mm -hmm. and then specific core wounds as well, so different painful beliefs they carry about themselves and other individuals. And so if we have this huge, you know, framework at a subconscious level and we don't know that somebody else is different, it makes relationships very challenging. So integrated attachment theory is basically that there are these four main attachment styles based off jungle before. And these are our secure attachment style, which everybody sort of wants to become. And the securely attached individual feels safe and comfortable communicating their needs and feelings. They basically learned at a very young age that when they cried or expressed something, their caregivers would come towards them and tend to that. And so it creates this deep, um, you know, sort of imprint of self-worth, like, oh, you're worthy for being who you are. You get love, your needs are met, you're seen, you're heard, you're tended to. And that individual often goes up, grows up to go into the world and feel more self-confidence, more self-worth, feeling safe, communicating their boundaries and their feelings and their needs and vulnerability and trust feel good because they have positive associations programmed at the subconscious level for what trust and connection mean. And then we have our three insecure attachment styles, which really didn't get that same type of programming. And so on one end of the sort of continuum, you have your dismissive avoidant attachment style individual. And this child um, usually grows up in a household where there's some form of neglect, and it can be overall neglect physical emotional neglect mental you know complete neglect or it can also be like the under the radar emotional neglect where the physical needs are really taken care of but the emotional needs are just not addressed because maybe both caregivers are are not emotionally available and so this child grows up in their adult life to basically have negative emotional associations built into what connection means and so you might see the expression of this as somebody who fears commitment fears vulnerability seems to pull away whenever there's too much emotional intimacy or closeness Mm -hmm. um and usually this individual carries a big shame wound and is very good at self-soothing and needs a lot of space and time to themselves and does not like to soothe through others or share themselves with others at a deep emotional level because of those early programmed emotional associations Mm -hmm. and so you'll see this individual in their adult lives often like push people away when they get too close to sabotage relationships and they have a lot of deactivating strategies, which are these subconscious excuses to get away from people instead of come towards them. I think everybody sort of knows somebody in their lives like this. And at a deep level, this individual has a lot of subconscious shame because as a child, you can't look at your caregivers and go, oh, they're not emotionally available. Like your prefrontal cortex isn't developed enough to understand that. So instead, it's like, wow, I have these needs. I want closeness. I want all this. And something must be wrong with me that people can't show up. And give these needs to me. And so there's this a, a deep internalized shame wound for these individuals. And basically at the opposite end of the spectrum, you have your anxious preoccupied attachment style. And these are the individuals who often come across as like clingy or needy or want emo- a lot of emotional closeness in their relationships. Mm -hmm. And this is because these individuals usually have this big fear of abandonment, which is a major wound and they don't like being alone. And usually in their childhood, it's because there was inconsistency in the caregivers. So maybe some care, one caregiver was really warm and one was cold. And so the juxtaposition of that felt like an emotional abandonment and it became scary but they had enough positive emotional associations to closeness and then a lot of negative associations to the lack thereof. And so this could also be both caregivers are warm, but they work a lot, things mm. like that. And so often you'll see these individuals in a relationship together, like the one who's fearing the commitment and the one who's dying for the commitment and is mm-hmm. terrified of being alone or abandoned. And there are, there are specific subconscious reasons they tend to attract each other in relationships wow. And our very last Styles, the fearful end, and this individual basically experiences both ends of the attachment spectrum. So they have this experience in their adult lives of like, oh, come close, I need closeness. Oh, you're too close, get away, stay back. <laughs> and this person often come across as like very hot and cold in relationships, and like push pull a lot in their dynamics. And usually, this individual had either a lot of enmeshment trauma, codependency, and their caregivers sort of like emotionally dumping on them. Or just violence in the home, trauma in the home, um, big challenges, distrust, a parent is an addict or alcoholic, things where it like fragmented trust for this person. So this person hungers for that emotional closeness and they fear it at the same time. Mm. And so they are often shifting back and forth between becoming anxious and becoming avoidant, basically expressing both ends of the continuum of the insecure attachment styles. So those are the three and they impact our relationships so dramatically and they're so important for us to learn about and and see who we are um, in that space.
1: Wow. That is amazing. Right? I mean, what, now I've heard that um, basically, basically your worldview was formed around age five, like five to eight, right, is, is really a pivotal time. Is that also in your research and studies?
2: Yeah, so so really the first three years of a child's life are the most important in terms of their programming, and it's because the mind is the most suggestible at that time.
1: Mm. So
2: our subconscious mind is responsible for roughly 95 to 97% of everything, our thoughts, our feelings, our actions, behaviors, and our conscious mind, 3 to 5%, so a very small amount by comparison. So our subconscious is really driving our lives, and it sort of creates this reality filter that we see and interact with the world through. So, for example, if I believe... You know people can't be trusted or all men are this or all women are that or whatever mm. then i'm going to interact through that subconscious lens all the time and yes. the most of that is actually soaked up between the ages of zero to three through our early relationships and attachment patterns and then you know the the preceding years up until the age of eight we are still super suggestible um, basically because of our mind producing only alpha and not only, but majority wise alpha and theta brainwaves, which are actually the brainwaves you need to be hypnotized. Mm-hmm. So we're in this state of like hypersuggestibility, suggestibility and, you know, until we can understand what that big filtering system and, and subconscious Paradigm is made up of and actually reprogram what no longer serves us. Most people, if they pay close attention, will find themselves repeating the same patterns in their lives over and over and over again, attracting the same types of partners, having the same limiting beliefs and and self sabotage behaviors at work or with their finances. And all of those things are largely built out before the age of eight. Wow.
1: So amazing, right? It really is. So, is most of your practice with couples on the relationship side, or really do you get a mix?
2: Honestly, I started with everything. Like, mm-hmm. I, I did so much research and so much studying and then work on myself as a person. I just mm-hmm. sort of said, like, whoever wants to come in, I'm just going to see everything and everybody. So I worked from everybody with, like, sexual abuse, trauma, PTSD to couples work and, and did a lot of couples dynamics work, which was very, very probably, like, my favorite. Because mm-hmm. um, you really get to help people heal individually and see the organism of a relationship take shape and then become a really beautiful, powerful thing as well. Um, But I sort of saw people from all different perspectives because the the principles are always the same. It's like no matter what the dynamic or situation, you know, even in trauma events, like it's not – the trauma it's the, the meaning that we give to the trauma mm-hmm. and the way we store it that's the thing that's impacting us all the years later and that's those are subconscious beliefs and imprints we've collected and if we can surface those things and reprogram them we actually get relief from those really traumatic events because we're no longer storing them and repeating them on autopilot at a subconscious level throughout the day through flashbacks or memories or the way we look and perceive things because those things are making up that subconscious lens and filter that we're interacting with the world through.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it affects every area of your life, right? I mean, sometimes we want to compartmentalize and be like, oh, I can put that in a little box over here. But yet it's, yeah, I mean, from relationships of all kinds, right? From friendships to uh, coworkers to love relationships to our health, to health especially, right? That's the foundation. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah.
2: You know, one of the most unique things I learned about trauma, like just working with so many people in different instances and how that impacts romantic relationships, but just a a human being as an individual as well is that one of the things that our subconscious mind does as an adaptation to trauma is we re-traumatize. So Mm. if we have, for example, like we look at, like, let's say your typical dismissive avoidant person who, you know, in the words of Dr. Gabramate, trauma is the things that happened that shouldn't have happened, like abuse, or the things that didn't happen that should have happened, like emotional neglect, right? Just a Mm. lack of being nurtured in a way that's necessary for human growth and experience. And so if we look at that, for example, that trauma for a dismissive avoidant, they go on their entire lives to keep emotionally neglecting themselves. They, they experience emotional neglect, and then they keep not meeting those needs. And what happens is wherever we have a traumatic experience, our brain actually replays these things over and over again in relationship to self. And so you can have emotional neglect. Somebody keeps not meeting their own needs that way. Or we can also have somebody, you know, has a, let's say, violent parent, and they feel unsafe, And then they reproject that worldview out over and over again. They think everybody's unsafe and they keep retelling that story and they Mm -hmm. keep reprojecting that thing. And then the subconscious mind, which really values familiarity and wants its comfort zone often then is actually at a deep subconscious level, Pulled towards relationships where there is some form of violence if that was the comfort zone in childhood and Mm. you know people will say well how can you know like you know you get attracted to somebody on the first date or your subconscious mind is processing a billion bits per second of data it's picking up on micro expressions body language tone of voice all these different things compared to your conscious mind's 40 to 60 bits per second of data Mm. so like you have a whole framework of people and in a very short period of time and we literally are seeking out that familiarity and that's why we see things. For example, like people who come from abusive households, it's like, I think the stat is 88% of people either end up as a victim or perpetrator in abusive relationships in their adult lives. And so, you know, we have to see that stuff as like, oh my goodness, we need healing. We need love. We need compassion to ourselves. We need to find those patterns within us, isolate them and learn to reprogram them so we can have freedom in whatever form that takes for whatever our pain or struggle is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I know that's, that's the kind of the question people have, like, how can someone stay with someone that's abusive or how can someone stay in this situation that isn't healthy? But it's like you said, it's so much on the subconscious level of identity of self-worth. It's all tied in. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And you know, it's interesting too, because I often say to people like, how is it possible that a trauma that happened 25 45, Mm -hmm. whatever, however many years ago is still alive within us today. Mm -hmm. And if you look at it from a neuroscience perspective, like the only way a trauma can stay alive is we have to still be in some form, in some version, firing and wiring those same neural pathways. Mm -hmm. And so what we'll often find too, is the people who end up in painful situations they're still, they had a trauma and an imprint that wasn't their fault, let's say something in childhood. And then they're still acting like that in the relationship to themselves, which is why they then feel okay accepting it from others. They've maintained that neural paradigm. And so they feel like, oh, yeah, it's okay that this person's super critical and so rude all the time, because probably in relationship to themselves, that's a reflection of their own internal dialogue
1: to mm. self.
2: And so we have a subconscious comfort zone, not just because a trauma happened a long time ago, but because we're reenacting that in relationship to self at a subconscious level the entire time, which makes it actually feel safe and comfortable when it comes from our external Relationships, or from the people around us, and so this isn't to say people should like be blamed. Like it's not a person's fault. Right. These are just the natural byproducts of what happens from a trauma, and what we don't realize that we're doing at a subconscious level. And it's so important to have that recognition because that's the first step to creating real change.
1: Yeah. Wow. So, so much just coming up in this discussion. I just love it because it's so powerful. You know, when people sometimes um, just want to kind of gloss over, right. The past, I mean, we don't want to live in the past, but we are living in the past on that subconscious neuro, you know, connection way, but not really even understanding or realizing it, you know, of all the, I mean, this is kind of a, a, a big question, but of all of the, you know, someone listening, if they're identifying like, yeah, oh, that seems like me or, you know, I can, I can really uh, relate to what, you know, Tice is saying. Um, I don't want to say, is there one tool in your toolbox that you recommend? Is there one, you know, this is the biggie that I see help a lot, you know, whether it's hypnosis or EFT or, you know, of all the tools in your toolbox, is there something that you say, yeah, this is kind of a bullseye. This is, this is something that I see has really helped. Yeah.
2: I would say one of the first things, if anybody's like really identifying with this conversation and they're like, oh my gosh, I see how, you know, I have these repeating patterns in some form. It can be in the workplace and their finances could be anything. What you want to do is you want to sit down first and be like, what were the biggest pain points that I took from my childhood? Like, was it, I was bullied? Was it, you know, my parents were critical, my parents fought, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I want you guys to ask yourself for the people listening, um, what did I make that mean about myself? Because it's, again, it's not the individual experience. That's why experiences affect people so differently. It's the meaning we give. And so you want to ask that first. And then I want you to ask yourself second, what were the greatest unmet needs in my childhood? And then you want to look for, where have I been telling that same story of meaning about myself? I'm not good enough. I'm disrespected. I'm unworthy of love, whatever it is. Where have I been repeating that same story on autopilot all the time? And then where have I kept not meeting those needs because they weren't met for me? So if Mm. I needed stability, where do I totally not allow myself to have stability in my life? If I needed love and connection and I was emotionally neglected, where am I neglecting myself still? So you're looking for like, where am I basically in a pattern of re-traumatizing at a subconscious level without meaning to, Mm. and then you want to have a strategy to change. And it's a repetition plus emotion that reprograms the subconscious mind. So you want to be like, okay, if I'm emotionally neglecting myself, what's my strategy to start feeling my emotions? And that can be, you know, I sit with myself in in Vipassana meditation for 20 minutes a day and try to notice my feelings. It can be, I keep a feelings journal, it can be so many different things, but you put a strategy together. And if your story is something painful, like, oh, I'm I'm not worthy of love or I'm going to be abandoned, change the story. Mm. And, you know, I, why do I deserve connection? Why do I deserve closeness? And you want to find 10 to 15 pieces of evidence a day to equilibrate stories for 21 days. And the evidence contains emotions and so you'll get repetition plus emotion that reprograms. So, for example, if I believe I'm not good enough or not worthy of love, okay, how am I good enough? What did I do today that was good enough? And it doesn't matter how big or small the things are. It can be I got out of bed on my first alarm this morning. It can be anything. But you're getting your brain and a mechanism in your brain called the reticular activating system in the habit of thinking, feeling, seeing And uh, experiencing being good enough and the repetition over that of that is reprogramming. And I think one of the most empowering tools is teaching people to reprogram themselves because then you don't have to go and spend $300 on hypnosis and a session. You don't have to go and do EFT tapping every time, but you know, in a certain degree that's treating the symptom. So like, you can really learn these are my subconscious patterns. This is how I do the reprogramming work. And the same applies for our needs. So if we're changing the emotional neglect, great. I'm going to start doing something every day for 21 days. So it's repetitive and it just has to elicit an emotional response. It can be feeling journals, whatever it is, Mm. so that this becomes my new way of being and operating in the world. And from just knowing that we can really create change at any level for anything that we're, we're desiring to change in our lives.
1: Beautiful. Yeah. That's, that's so awesome. Thank you so much for that. Because I think that sometimes is the, the how question, right? Well, how do I, if, if I am, I have awareness around it now, what's that next step, you know, to Absolutely. interrupt the pattern, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for that. Well, let's move on to our power questions now. So, Thanks. um, what is one book that's had a massive impact on you?
2: I would say my favorite book I've ever read um, and I have a bunch, but I would mm-hmm. say if I had to just choose one, I would say Byron Katie's book called A Thousand Names for Joy. Mm-hmm. And it's all about like questioning our mind and not identifying with our stories. And it really creates that distance and separation. And she has a, a four-step method to do that. And, um, and some turnarounds, which is sort of similar to like Carl Jung's shadow work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is just really beautiful, powerful stuff. And I think that's a must read for everybody.
1: Fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. I love Byron Katie. Um, how about a quote that you live by?
2: One of my favorite quotes ever I read in a book. Um, and it was actually like a one line. It wasn't even like this quote, but it just mm-hmm. stood out to me and it said, he who hates evil merely creates another one. And it was like, Whoa, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> because it was sort of this idea that like, it's so easy to go through the day or go into the world and be like, those people are doing bad things. This system is broken and to be against it. But all that does is it just creates more of what you're trying to get rid of in the world. And so, Mm. you know, it really puts things into perspective of like, don't fight against the problem before a solution and the amount of impact that has, I think on our personal energy and like how we respond to things and what we take on. And also the thought patterns we have throughout the day that then impact our emotions and program our own subconscious because there are no idle thoughts at a subconscious level everything is programming to a certain degree over time and so just making that shift I think really opens up to change you know the way you feel the way you think about things and sort of your relationship to the external world
1: Mm, beautiful beautiful so if you could leave one final message your golden nugget what would it be
2: so I would say you know Uh, Definitely the importance of like reprogramming your subconscious and approaching things at the subconscious level because that's the root level. But something that is, I think, different than most people are really talking about, and I think is such an important um, experience when anybody is trying to heal themselves is the importance of self-compassion and gentleness. Like mm-hmm. if we go through our lives and we're like, oh, you made a mistake and you're supposed <laughs> to be a coach or you're supposed <laughs> to be a podcast host or you're so, mm-hmm. and If we do that to ourselves, it is the biggest detriment to our healing. And, you know, I went through that personally and I saw the impact of that in terms of like getting sober and healing and just changing my internal dialogue to myself and not beating myself up. And I also noticed for people that when we go into the beating yourself up mode, the really crazy thing that happens is we distract ourselves from finding the root of the problem being and being able to actually solve it. So a quick analogy is I had this client one time and he was, um, he went into the bank and he was rushing and he was this sort of high powered attorney and always rushing. And he, the, he was, you know, in time crunch and pressure and he yelled at the bank teller and like lost. Because she was making mistakes and he went out and then his next response was like to beat himself up beat himself up like i'm such a bad person why would i do that and as soon as we do that we distract ourselves from going whoa what led up to that reaction in me Hmm. what in me is creating that so i can change and shift that at, at a root level oh my goodness i'm always putting myself under pressure i'm not carving out enough time i you know and then we can change those root patterns and see results But if we go into the beating yourself up, you don't even get to address the root problem. And then you further just tell this story that, that, again, is fighting against the problem instead of being for the solution. And so there's sort of a two-part problem within that in terms of subconscious reprogramming and also in terms of, like, how we address things. And so it is so important for that reason, to be really gentle and compassionate and learn to inquire instead of judge and expect in the relationship to ourselves. Mm,
1: Absolutely. Love that. Thank you for that. Uh, How can we find and support you?
2: Yeah, so... You can find us on YouTube. We have a huge, I have a huge channel. I put tons of free content out every single day. Um, It's personal development school to Ash Chaius Gibson. And then we have an entire school. So I've written about 35 or so courses. We add two new courses every month, everything from like reprogramming your attachment style to just reprogramming your relationship to money, planning out your career, um, codependency and meshment, like all these different, you know, boundaries courses. Um, And so we've got a ton of information in there and I do four live webinars a week with our community Um, so there's like hundreds of previously recorded webinars and we have ongoing webinars all the time and we just have an amazing and really supportive community. So those are sort of the two hubs that I share most information through and, um, yeah, and love to connect through there. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Awesome. Well, one last question, as you know, we are rise up for you. So when you hear that phrase, what does it mean to you?
2: I think it's beautiful. I love (laughs) the phrase by the way. Um, (laughs) but it really means being able to see the possibility of transformation. So I think it's so easy for us to get like stuck in our patterns and not know how. And I think the first step is just thinking like, this is possible. It's possible to change. It's possible to transform. Yes. Sometimes it can be messy and chaotic at the beginning, mm-hmm. but there's a Tao quote that says there's order in the chaos. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And I totally believe in that. And so I think no matter where somebody's at in their path, no matter how much they've been through change is possible. And I think it's beautiful to give yourself permission to see that so that you can go through that rise up and, and process of transformation.
1: Well, there you go. That is fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Thais. I mean, it's just the work you're doing in the world is so beautiful, so needed right now. And I just want to honor you for that and honor you for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. And likewise to you. Thank you so much. And it's beautiful you're sharing all of this with so many people on a a regular basis. Thank
0: Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on the Rise Up For You podcast series. We're here to serve you and inspire you to become your best self so that you can live a life that you are proud of. If you haven't already head over to our website, riseupforyou.com and explore through all that we have to offer. Don't forget to subscribe while you're there for exclusive materials sent to you weekly, and also subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and any other major podcast channel. Join us for our next episode, but until we meet again, rise up for you, be better today than yesterday, and prepare for a greater you tomorrow.